Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. In this special episode of the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, I'm joined by Morgan Lippart, poet and author of Barefoot and Running. Morgan and I recently did an Instagram Live workshop on publishing poetry, and it was so successful and popular that we've taken the audio from that live and turned it into a podcast episode. I hope you enjoy Morgan and I talking about our experiences publishing books of poetry, publishing poetry in journals, and answering numerous questions from those that attended the live event. And we have both published books. So Morgan, why don't you introduce yourself and show off your book and I'll do the same and then we'll dive into this conversation. Absolutely. Hi everybody, my name is Morgan Lippart. I'm a poet. I've been published all over the world, um, all over the States, in Canada, England. Um, so that is a wonderful portion of my career, but also I did write a book last year that came out called Barefoot and Running. Uh, my book is about moving from uh, Illinois to the plains of Colorado. And that came out last year and it was on the Amazon bestselling list for a brief moment, which was awesome. It was a great experience. So I've also got Morgan's book, fantastic book. Definitely recommend you check it out, Barefoot and Running on Amazon. And uh, I'm also a poet and I'm the poet laureate of Dublin, California. And I've written for decades, but it was really the pandemic that spurred me into no longer writing just for friends and family, but actually getting out there. And I chose to do that. We'll talk about this later, self-published, but I've also been published in a number of journals. So that's my first book. The, uh, the cover is over my shoulder there on the wall by the incredible myth, performer, Miss Butler, Carrie Byron. And then I've got a second book coming out um, I love the cover, uh, coming out in, uh, in a month. So we'll, we'll talk about a whole bunch of things, uh, but I've been writing poetry for a long time and finally got the nerve to publish it and never look back. And I'm sure many of you who've joined have had similar experiences. So just some logistics. So people are going to come in and come out as, with any Instagram Live, and uh, we will definitely want to take questions. So if you have questions along the way, Please uh, put them as a comment, and then we will uh, attempt to see the comments and and answer them as we go. Um, and we'll do this for 45 minutes or so. I think we have an hour max. We won't get that long before Instagram kicked us out. Um, but we've got a set of topics we're going to run through, and we're just going to have a discussion. So as we go along and you have questions, please, please raise them. We have a great turnout already. It's exciting. Okay. So the first thing I want to start with is preparing a poem for publication. So for the two of us, raise your hand if you've been rejected 95% of the time when you submit stuff. There you go. So that's everybody. That is everybody. Submitting poetry is an exercise in rejection. We'll come back to that. But Morgan taught me a really cool lesson about preparing a poem for publication. And I want to hand over to her to talk a little bit about some of the things she's learned, particularly the importance of titles. Yes, 
So the most important thing about your poem when you're submitting it to a journal or magazine is your title. And that's because your title has to make the editor and then when it's published, the reader want to read more. So it can be surprising. It has to have some sort of hook. Like, would you rather read a poem that was titled Honeysuckle? Or would you rather read a poem that was titled I Think You're Not a Man? So that's actually an example of something that I am submitting right now. And it's about, um, it's basically the first line is like, I think you're not a man, but you're a honeysuckle flower and describing this man and this picnic. And I thought, um, honeysuckle doesn't really draw you in. It doesn't make you go, ooh, what is that about? It's just a pretty title. But I think you're not a man. It's like, it gets your attention. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna turn to page 75 because what is the T, you know? So once you rethink your titles as true hooks for the editor and then the eventual reader to want to read more, to be surprised, to be pulled in, then it will completely change your poetry writing game. Totally, and I think you think of it as a uh, and as a headline. You know, when uh, journalists spend a lot of time, or their editors spend a lot of time thinking about the headline for an article, because if you can't get past the headline, you're not gonna read the article. And following Morgan's advice, I had a poem I was quite proud of about an eighth grade experience where I had stage fright in my first play. So I called it Stage Fright, which is fine. That's a fine title, but it's, it doesn't really hook you in. Instead, I changed the title to That Time I Was Left for Dead Downstage. And that has a hook. And guess what? Prometheus Dreaming loved it and published it. And I am absolutely convinced that the title played a role in that. The rest of the, the poem didn't change, but that title captured the spirit of the poem, the humor of it, much better than just something functional uh, like stage fright. So I cannot, I've retitled half of my poems as a result of Morgan's advice and noticed it now with other poets. It makes a big difference. Yeah, people won't see your brilliance if they don't go to your page. You know, if they don't go and read your poem, they won't, they won't get there. So you've got to be brilliant right up front and then they'll go to your poem. Now, a related thing is strategies for getting your poem placed. And, and here Morgan has really taught me a ton because she's been at, I, I've been writing poetry for decades, but only in the last year or so have I taken all that work and tried to externalize it and have made up for a whole bunch of lost time. But I've learned a ton from Morgan. He's got, a, he's got several years on me in terms of having poetry out there. So maybe talk about some of the strategies you've used to get poems placed. Yes, I am full of strategies. So grab a pen and a piece of paper if you're a poet, because um, you're gonna wanna write this down. Okay, so I've been doing this for a decade. So I've learned some things over the decade by trial and error, basically. So the first thing I want to tell you is it's truly a numbers game. You have to keep submitting and keep submitting and keep submitting. You will hear no almost all of the time. That does not mean that a poem isn't great. That does not mean that somebody doesn't want to publish that poem somewhere. You just have to submit it 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. Um, like I will say in a given year, I submit to maybe 100, 150 journals, some years more. And it just is something that you cannot get caught up in a no. You have to be tenacious and not take no for an answer. And I have a rule that every no I receive 
that means either that day or the next day I have to send out to another because yeah. it keeps that momentum going. And you need, I would say like 20 or 30 ongoing open um, poetry applications at one time in order to be successful. And even that, if you, if you play that numbers game at that level, you might on a good year get into five, maybe. Uh, on a bad year, get into one. <laughs> like the year I'm having. I just right noticed now. the question: Are you paying for these submissions? So I think that, that yeah. Okay, so that was. Um, I really wanted to talk about that. A lot of journals do cost one or two dollars to submit. If I am really convicted about getting into a journal, I will pay that. But most of my submissions, I look for um, submissions where you don't have to pay anything, and that's because it gets really expensive those two and three dollars if you're doing this 200 times. Yeah. It, it's, I, I understand why journals have submission fees because they need to stay afloat. They need to pay their editors and that's the mechanism for them to do that. So I respect that. But for me, financially, it's hard to really play the numbers game like I need to when you're paying. So if it's like your dream journal, go ahead and pay. But other than that, I would look for the plenty of journals where it's free submissions. And just on that point, actually, I've, uh, for, with my site, website, Fearless Wings, I do use Submittable to accept submissions. And there is a cost to use the platform Submittable, and I try to offset that cost. So I do charge a couple bucks. I do, however, have a free uh, to submit poetry right now. Uh, on Vealist Wings for National Poetry Month. We're City of Dublin, we're on Poet Laureate. We're gonna do a poetry walk. So I encourage everyone who's listening here, please submit your best work there. And I will say, to layer on to what Morgan has said, since I've been on the other side of it now, I've submitted lots of things, been rejected lots of times and accepted and accepted sometimes, is that I understand now why most of the time you get rejected. Because I get, I receive these wonderful poems. I can only accept a couple and I have to make these ridiculously hard choices. And sometimes it's I've got three things and they're all similar and I only want one of that theme. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the poem. And I think that's so important to remember is that part the numbers game is a timing thing, you know? It might just be they already have something, they already have vanilla ice cream, they don't need more vanilla ice cream, they need some chocolate ice cream, and it has nothing to do with the quality of your poem. And so just, even though it's hard, rejections are hard, they, it does get easier a little bit as you get, as you get start to realize this is the way it works. Right, some form rejection letters say, thank you for sending us your work. This just isn't right for us at this time. And that could not be more true because it's, a great, it's great work, but you just need to go find another home somewhere else. Um, there's a quote that I really wanna say from Neil Gaiman, cause he's my favorite and it's exactly on this topic. Um, let's see. He says, somewhere out there, there is someone so drunk, so desperate, so confused that they will buy it and they will publish it. Keep going, keep sending it out to find that person. And that's just a funny spin <laughs> to be like someone somewhere will publish it and it's true. Um, and I think we got a question about whether you should submit to paying journals and websites or non-paying. I will say almost all journals, no matter how prestigious they are, they do not pay. Like this is a book that I was, that I was in this year, Literary Imagination from the University of Oxford, and they didn't pay me. 
know, very <laughs> prestigious. I'm next to Ed Hirsch. Uh, I got paid in a contributor copy that has yet to arrive in my house. So I paid for this one. Um, not to discourage you, but um, it's really, I would not count out a journal or website because they don't pay. A lot of them, they're just amazing, amazing publications that have a big following, but they just don't have the means to pay their staff and their writers. Absolutely. And you've also um, talked about how you personalize that, that uh, letter to the editor um, or submission letter that goes along with your bio. And talk a little bit about that. Cause that's something I wasn't quite taking the time to do because it is a little time consuming, but I, I, that personalization is different. So talk a little bit what you mean about personalizing that. Yeah, I customize every single submission that I send out. And I know not every poet does this, but for me, it's worth taking the extra time because it does take time to do this. Because if you're, look, if you're looking at it from the editor's shoes, the second that they see their name on a cover letter, the second that they see that you've read the journal, then automatically you're in this elite few that have actually done the work to do that. You get their attention. They want to like your work. So I think setting yourself apart in that way is a really good idea. So I always start the cover letter off with um, the poetry editor or poetry editors, if that's listed on their website, and almost always it is. And then I also customize the poems that I send them. I don't have the same batch of five that I send out to everybody. I look at their style. Is it edgy? Is it more academic? Is it focused on love? Is it focused on, you know, punk rock subject matter? Um, there are all sorts of journals out there with different themes. And so just pick your poems based on what you think will work the best. And usually if you peruse their website, they will directly tell you their vibe. They will say, we love prose poetry. We don't love sonnets. So really customize your submission packet to the journal. Think about this if you were applying to a job. The average resume and I've, is, will be looked at for under 15 seconds. And that's for a job, okay? That's for hiring somebody. You could not think of something more high stakes than that. So uh, if there is evidence from a, a job submission that the person has done any research about the company and had some context, it already gives them an advantage. Same thing applies here. There's something, uh, there's a question being asked here. And by the way, when you're, we're trying our best to look at the questions, Instagram does not make it easy <laughs> to see the questions. Uh, how can I utilize having won a poetry contest to getting published without feeling like I'm boasting? Factually stating things like saying I'm the poet laureate of Dublin, California. Um, that's not boasting. That's just stating a fact. And it's a relevant fact. I think saying that you are uh, saying something that has nothing to do with poetry, um, you know, might be boasting, but no, if it's poetry related, you should absolutely state those things that demonstrate that you've already achieved some level of credibility. It will, again, help be a filter for someone who's, you know, for the more established, really high profile journals, they're getting thousands of submissions. Um, so you need something that will be honest, but also be visible. Yeah, and I, I think that might also be something that females fall into, myself included, of feeling like, oh, wow, I can't talk about my accolades because then I'm going to come across as boastful or too proud. Um, people are kind of hard on women in that way. But um, I've just learned through my life that, like, whenever I have that feeling like, oh, no, I can't say something that I did because somebody's going to think that I'm... I've got a big ego, I always say it's okay to take up space. 
It's okay to say who I am. That poetry contest that you won is part of who you are. So it's okay to say that in a cover letter. It won't come across wrong or weird, I promise. The other thing I would like to share that I started doing for two purposes, I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to be very organized and within two contexts. One of them is submissions. I have a spreadsheet and I have a list of the poems that are ready for submission that I'm working on that aren't ready yet. And I, I have a column that has like submitted, accepted, submitted, uh, and then to do where it is waiting to be submitted or work in progress where I, it's just a reminder that it's just not quite ready. And then I keep track of every journal I submitted to uh, because I don't want to resubmit the same poem to the same journal. And trust me, when you start doing this a lot, you will accidentally do that. Or you don't, there are journals that say, look, you can only submit once a year or twice a year or X number of poems. And you really want to respect that because otherwise it'll annoy them and you'll get immediately rejected. I do that. Also, another very valuable thing to do is attend, especially due to COVID, attend as many open mics as you have time to do. And many of them are virtual. I keep a spreadsheet of the poems I've read at open mic because if you go to this, a couple of them every month, you quickly forget what you've read where. So I think part of being a poet, given the number of things we create, is be organized. Maintain some list spreadsheets, what Morgan has done with the journals and things that work are good because you're not gonna be able to keep it in your head. The stuff that should be in your head is your poetry. Everything else, get into a spreadsheet. Yes, absolutely. I have a spreadsheet and I live and die by it because when you do get something accepted, if you submitted that simultaneously, you have to go back to the other journals and email them um, or either do it through submit submittable or email them and say, hey, sorry, this poem got accepted, which is a fun email to send, but you have to send it. And if you have no idea, which I would have no idea without my spreadsheet, you know, if you have no idea where you where you sent it, then you would be out of luck. Most things are through submittable, but even through submittable, if you submit three or four poems, uh, you'll just have a blanket doc that has them all. It'll be very hard to keep track of, so do that. Um, you also, there, there are a small number of journals that you have to physically mail them. Some of them are email, uh, so you gotta keep track of yourself. It's 80% submittable, but it's not 100%. Cool, all right, so. We did get a question, yeah. if I can. Okay. But in, um, we did get a question a little bit ago about what journals and how you find these. Um, I have so many lists. If you DM me um, with your email address, I will happily send it to you. I've been keeping a list. Um, and I have a whole list based on who nominates for the Pushcart Prize, which is great. But like that was just something really subjective that I chose to generate a list for, to create a list. Um, so I can give you that. I can point you in a good direction. There are lists everywhere. And the only thing that you need to be aware of is there are certain submission periods for certain journals. Like they'll only accept submissions, you know, January through March. And so you have to keep track of that. And the Word document that I have keeps track of that. Um, some things might have shifted and changed over the years, but um, it's mostly accurate. And yeah, DM me and I'll send it to you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the two of us are very organized people, which is a useful skill to have in this artistic thing of poetry. Because there's, there's the, as, as a poet I interviewed for my podcast, there's poetry, writing, and then there's po-business, which is the, the business of poetry. Uh, you're, just because you wrote something doesn't mean anything, anybody's going to read it. Getting people to read your stuff definitely takes, takes work. So the, there's a question here, how many poems 
should you have to publish a book of poetry? That's a great lead into developing a manuscript. Now, we're going to tease up a future, because Morgan and I love just having discussions like this. We're going to do a future um, live Instagram live, because this one's been so successful, um, just really about the art of writing poetry. So we'll talk a little bit. We'll assume you've written some great poems, and now you want to develop a manuscript. You'll have to come back to, to, for more about learning about how to write poetry in a future one. But um, I want to start this by saying um, my first book, Self-Published, which we'll talk more about after this, because everything had been out on the web before. So my first piece of advice is if you're planning to publish a book and you want to leave the traditional door open, then be careful how public you make your poetry because you may um, limit your options. If you want to get something placed in a journal, if it's been anywhere, some publications are very strict. If it's been anywhere on the web, even if it was deleted because the Internet uh, Archive will still have a copy of it, then you won't be able to get that placed. So it's better, uh, I, right, as it was, I used to have a, a website where I published all my poetry. I took that away. It's gone. And I, and I, my first book was really a way to publish those things that had been previously on my website. Yes. So developing management. Yes, yeah. I was just going to say, um, you'll see the phrase where a journal will ask for first North American serial rights. That means exactly what James said, that it has never appeared on the internet in another journal. Like it is fresh for the world's eyes and you also can't post it or have it in another journal until that journal that accepted your work actually publishes their volume. So that's what First North American Serial Rights is and that's why we typically don't post full poems because otherwise we won't be able to get them placed. You know, it's different if you're at an unrecorded open mic private events, you know, um, that, that's a little different. Uh, that, that, that's probably not going to cause a problem. And, and that can be very helpful to understanding if your poetry, poems in the mark, but you want to be careful about publishing. So number of poems, uh, that can really vary. So you can have a chapbook, which is uh, like 24-ish pages. So I've got a chapbook manuscript that I'm trying to get traditionally published. And that is, I've got that in like six contests right now. And I think the max number of pages was 24 to 26, something like that. And so that's kind of the chapbook length. Um, and maybe your first book would be, I think you would call, I would call this a chapbook, uh, Morgan, I think from the length. Yeah, this is oh, kind absolutely. of like, yeah. yeah. Um, if you guys can see, this is the table of contents. So you can see how, how many or how few, you know, poems in here there are. And for a chapbook, I would say you're ready to publish your chapbook when you have like 15 to 20 really, really good poems that go together. Like my goal for this was you could go to any page and read any poem and be like, okay, wow, I get it. You know, th there's no fluff in here because the nature of the chapbook is so short. So just all your best stuff that kind of has an arc um, or a theme. So on that point, I had a, my first book was sort of taking decades and trying to capture it. So I had a couple of poems from high school that, that stood the test of time, and I wasn't sure what to do with them. And I had poems that I'd written during the uh, a quarter of the book was written during 2020, and then the rest were written over the course of years. So it was really challenging to figure out how to um, organize this book. So uh, I came up on my own, but found out this is what a lot of poets do, is I printed out the whole book on single-sided and put it out on the 
the floor of my family room and just started moving it around physically. I think it's near impossible to organize a book short or longer. And my book is in the, like 120 pages. My chat book is more like 25 pages. It is, you just can't do it on a computer. You have to physically see it, whether it's sticky notes on a wall or, or printed out. I, I interviewed Olivia Gatwood, wonderful poet for my podcast, and she did the same thing. She printed it out and just put it out, and then you look at it every day. And I, I reorganized it multiple times until it made sense because most poetry books are not written in one sitting. They're written over years, and they're not written with a book in mind. So you've got to find the book out of this collection of poems, usually. And maybe, Morgan, how did you decide what to include in your book and what order to put it in? I did the same thing where I printed everything out and then said, nope, not that, that doesn't fit. And then I rearranged everything so that I had an arc so that my, my uh, book personally starts very like hopeful, fresh and new. And then towards the middle, it's like this like a deep, meaningful punch in the gut. And then towards the end, it's hope and newness again. So I had to print everything out to kind of arrange it in that way that I wanted the, ex the reader to experience my work. You know, I had a similar thing where the first, because I wrote the, uh, the a, a quarter of the book in 2020, they were um, pandemic-y influenced. I wouldn't say it was like, uh, it was more timeless than just me about the pandemic. So the first section of the book had a, um, we're, we're, we're all about in that time period, that thing I also did, for this one, I took a, uh, I numbered uh, each, each section, and then I took a uh, a short stanza from one of the representative poems as a section header, and that worked really, really well. Uh, another thing I did in my book, which is unusual, most poetry books don't have illustrations, but I did include artwork. Now, this is super important. If you include artwork in your book you must get the rights to the artwork, whether or not you own the physical artwork. And in the case of everything that's in my book, I physically own the artwork. You owning the artwork does not mean you have a copyright to it. Very important. So I, I had a licensing agreement with the artists and they were friends of mine, so they agreed to do it for free. Um, but that's really, really important. If you, in the case of my second book, uh, the designer found this beautiful lithograph from 1982. I had to pay for a usage license based on the number of copies I think I'm going to sell. And if I sell more than that, I have to go back and pay the license again. You do not want to get in trouble um, with a physical book um, because you didn't license something. And if you go to my website, Dealist Wings, I have a template for an art license agreement, uh, the exact one that I used. Um, and maybe talk about the physical production of your book, uh, which is beautiful design, just beautiful design. And just talk about the things you had to do. Yeah. So I, sorry, I just want to make sure I don't pause out again. Um, so I hired somebody to do my cover art because I wanted this to stand out on the shelf and look like a professional product. And I know that I could not do that. <laughs> so I hired somebody to literally pick out wildflowers and take photos of them on a whiteboard and designed the fonts and everything. And then I also did a photo shoot in the mountains um, with a professional photographer for my bio photo. And then also for my website photos, because again, I wanted it to look professional and just like all of the other books at Barnes and Noble, I wanted this to fit in. So if you are 
amazingly talented, then I say absolutely go and do it and do the pictures yourself and or have a friend who's a photographer take photos of you. Um, you can bootstrap it a little bit, but man, if you can save a little bit of money to spend a professional to do some of this stuff, it will pay dividends. Yeah, here's, there's the, um, the photo. So I, uh, again, if you have the means, and I recognize not everybody on this Instagram, I'm just gonna have the means. Hiring someone, it's a one-time expense. For the rest of the books that I write, I will never age. That's what I'm gonna look like. You know, I am never gonna age. I will always be the same age that I wrote. Um, it just makes such a difference. When I was first going to, what my goal with self-publishing was I didn't have a choice because the, the, the poems had already been out there. So I was, there's no way I was going to get traditionally published. And, uh, but I still wanted to create a work of art. I wanted a book that looked in every way like a traditionally published book, every single way. So I, I originally was going to go, I, I went and paid for Adobe InDesign, which is the tool all the designers use. And I thought, I'll figure it out. Holy moly, I, I quickly decided this is just gonna suck up way too much time and I just won't be good. So how did I find my designer? Well, I looked at a book I loved, Olivia Gatwood's book, uh, Life of the Party. I saw who the cover designer was and I just reached out to her and thought she'll never get back to me. She works with all these publishers. Well, she got back to me and I interviewed her recently for the podcast, Zoe Norbell. She designed the, the cover and the interior and it just took so much headaches off my head. Yes, it costs money. It costs less than you think, but it does cost real money. But the result is such a beautifully designed book. The other thing, the look at the publisher, Viewless Wings Press. What's Viewless Wings Press? That's me. You can be self-published and have an imprint that is not a legal entity. I looked in and researched all that. Does not need to be a company, but you can separate your name from the imprint, which is the publisher, which is me. It might be more than that down the road. Um, so you combine all those things together. You know, I have uh, my own, I buy your own ISBN. Okay, do not use the ISBN generated by one of the tools because you will not be able to transport it. So buy your ISBN. The one-time expense, um, you know, just these little things. And on my website, viewlesswings.com, I have a whole series of articles where everything I learned about self-publishing, I decided I'm just going to write it down to help other people. There's, you're not paying for anything. I'm not trying to rope you into anything business. I just wrote it down because I learned so much doing it. So I think you'll find a bunch of useful things there. Um, so Morgan, what did you learn? You had an interesting path to self-publishing. Talk about how you ended up there to the extent you want to share the part of the story. Yeah, I did have an interesting path. Um, I have a very strong opinion about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Um, so I'll share that. If you are a poet and what you're publishing is poetry, I very strongly believe in self-publishing. The reason is because the tr big traditional pu publishing houses and even most small presses, they do not pick up poets. It's just for them, it feels like a smaller market than fiction. And even if you are signed to one of those publishing houses, they're going to spend all the marketing money, all the effort, all of the editing, all the design on the fiction books because they think that those will sell better. Um, so I think it's very hard to get an agent, very hard to get a book deal, um, unless you're super famous already <laughs> as a poet. 
And so I definitely think self-publishing is the way to go because you know that you believe in yourself. You know that you believe in your book. You're going to give it, give it 100% instead of giving your rights away to a publisher who might sit on it. Um, and also, long-term in your career, you can self-publish a bunch of chapbooks and then one full-length book. And then if that does really well, then you can get a book deal. That's always an option in the future. But I just, I really don't think I would steer you in that direction unless you're doing fiction. Like I just finished my fiction novel and I'm trying to get an agent right now. I'm just beginning that process. I am, I am going traditional publishing or bust, but that's just because it's a thriller novel. And that's just only because it's a really profitable market where it's easier to get an agent and it's kind of feasible. Um, and then my path to this book is I, I did originally have um, somebody pick it up, a publisher pick it up, but it wasn't the best experience. And I don't, I will never say who, who it was, but um, <laughs> it just like kind of languished and the release date came and went with no book and no cover or anything. And so I, uh, after I gave it like a year, maybe a year and a half. And after that time period, I emailed them because they hadn't been responding to my emails either. But I emailed them and said, hey, I've been do doing a lot of soul searching. I think self-publishing is the right route for me. Is it okay if you release me from this book deal and I go and do my own thing? Like, and they totally understood. They acknowledged that they dropped the ball. Um, they said if I ever wanted to do a reprint, I could come back. But um, that was my untraditional way to get to. Yeah, let me, let, me add a, let me add a few things in there. Um, other things, again, I had no choice. I had to self-publish. Um, publishing traditionally means years. There's no weeks or months. It's years. It's years in every sense of the word, years to find someone. And then once they've decided, then it's totally up to them when they're going to publish it, right? Everything takes longer. You have zero control over the creative direction of the book. You don't have control over the title. You don't have control over the cover, the choice of the designer, nothing. You have control over nothing. So now the flip side to that, if you are self-publishing, you have inherited all of the headaches and the decisions and the challenges of self-publishing, which gives you tremendous control. Now to give you some, the first book is the hardest, although all the articles I read wrote on my site, I really hope on vlaswings.com will help short circuit that a bit. So this first book, months and months and months to find the designer, work with them, go through all that, get the artwork uh, created by Carrie Byron and all that stuff. The second book, which is beautiful, looks beautiful, it's gorgeous. Um, it was literally a month, a month. I just handed it off to the designer. I had the manuscript all done and workshopped and critiqued handed it off to the designer. We'd worked together, Zoe Norvell, fantastic designer, and she just took care of all that. And I knew what I wanted and I have total control. I, you know, I can decide when this, when this goes live, it's ready to go. I am just, it's going to be in March. I can push the button anytime I want. It's totally up to me. I get to decide how it's promoted. So I agree with Morgan is I do have, there's a little ego side of me. I'm going to take a run at the uh, chapbook contest, I'm going to give them six months to maybe seven. And if none of them pick it up, the heck with it. I'm just going to self-publish it because I'm so proud of it. Um, and I don't want to publish more than one thing a year anyway. So I, I can afford for that to sort of go through the system for a while. Um, so I agree with Morgan. It's, it is, there is some money. I would say um, all in for the first book 
for, for sure under $5,000 if you include a photographer, paying a copy editor, which you absolutely want to do to have a, a letter-perfect book, and then a designer probably under three, depending on you might be able to cut some corners. Unlikely it's under 1000 So just to set people's expectations, there is a – and then you think, okay, how many books do I have to sell? That's the other thing about self-publishing. You make more money per book because you, you get to buy the book for – um, the wholesale price and sell it directly or sell it through Amazon or through a bookstore, which is the least lucrative. You only make a tiny amount because most of the margin goes to the bookstore, even though it's an ego thing. And both of us, we've gotten our books in the bookstores. It feels good, but it's not the place you make money. So thoughts about the business side of it, Morgan, from your experience. Yes. If you are self-publishing, it's going to be tough, but totally worth it. Um, you're right. There is a big learning curve. I felt like I was learning new things every day and literally learning through failing at them and then figuring out how to do them. Like I have this nightmare story with my book of um, the, the font that I chose not being the best when it actually was uploaded as a manuscript into Ingram, which is um, a publisher that you can use and they actually print and bind and ship out your books. Um, so it's not, I guess the traditional publisher, you still own the rights to it, but it's just a way to get your book physically printed. Ingram is the name. It's a really big company. But um, somehow, some way, my font didn't have T's that showed up correctly. So it was just the little dash in this like, whole book. And so I had to go through each T and change it to a font that was super similar, but you could barely tell it was a different font and then change the size of the font too. And so that's how I spent an evening in the fall of, what was that, 20, 2020, the fall of 2020, uh, a glass of wine was needed. But um, you will just run into things like that and you'll learn and you'll get through it. And at the end of the day, when it's your book birthday and it's your release day, it, it will be worth it, I promise. Just keep going. Um, Some other logistics things are on Amazon, KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing or Ingram Spark. So those are two, there are other. Um, self-publishing platforms. I think at a minimum, uh, at a minimum, you kind of need to be on Amazon KDP because they're just such a dominant player. However, uh, and I was only for my second book. I'm, I'm on I, this book is both behind the scenes on Ingram Spark and uh, Amazon Kindle Dark Publishing. Uh, and because Kindle, Kindle, uh, Amazon Spark has an excellent hardcover option with a with a slip, with a uh, dust cover. If you want to do that, um, which I did for my first book, Kindle Direct Publishing has a hardcover, but no uh, hardcover and beta, but no um, dusk jacket. Um, uh, the the gotcha with Kindle Direct Publishing is independent bookstores, by and large, will not wholesale a book from Kindle because it's associated with Amazon. And uh, so the, the bookstore, Phoenix Books in Vermont, to give them a shout out, they're going to do my book launch in March. Um, I listed it on, on Ingram Spark so that they can wholesale it from there. So Ingram is the biggest, I think, book wholesaler. So getting into bookstores, you pretty much have to be in Ingram. The, the, that means that your designer will need to do um, a little bit of tweaks for the cover design file, which may be bundled in. You may not have to pay extra for that. Uh, there is a little bit of an overhead for Ingram's part, but it's pretty nominal. Okay, someone asked a font question. So I just Sorry. wanna uh, do a little bubble because I have a very big opinion about that too. Um, so 
the person asked Comic Sans, um, no, this is, I think, Charter, but I would absolutely, when you're sending out submissions, absolutely, no exceptions, use Times New Roman. No exceptions. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter if you like another font, because me too, but you need to do Times New Roman so it looks professional and standard, and so it doesn't stand out in a negative way, because everyone yeah. else, I promise, is almost always using Times New Roman. And then when it's time for your own book, I don't know if I would use Times. I would maybe use something with a little more personality, but still make it like clean looking. Um, I just wouldn't personally do Comic Sans, but definitely Times New Roman when you're trying to get poems placed. And then one other little thing is my first book was um, uh, eight and a half by four and a half by like sort of a, I guess standard book size. I went six by nine for the second book. And it was because I got feedback that um, that it just made me allowed to bump the point size up just a little bit and make it more readable. Um, because poetry, unlike uh, prose, you know, where we break lines is super important. So that's something to think about. These are all standard sizes, doesn't really affect the cost materially. I, I'm gonna go with six by nine. I had an interesting discussion with a book designer about that. Yeah. All right, let's see. Anything else you wanna say about traditional versus self-publishing before we move on to the promotion of books? Yes. Well, um, I just wanted to follow up on somebody commented that Ariel sure. is more universal. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Uh, like I'm a lawyer and during my day job, I use Ariel. But for some reason, um, journals and magazines want times. And often they will have all the criteria that they want your cover letter to meet and your submissions to meet in the submissions area of their website. And often they will say Times New Roman 12, um, 12 point font. But I just wanted to also have another note that I forgot to say um, in our earlier section about getting poems placed is when you go look at those um, requirements for their submissions, really follow those to the letter. I always put those requirements into my Excel spreadsheet to make sure I follow them. And they sometimes vary and you'll have to adjust your submission for their certain requirements. But I have been told um, by editors that if you don't adhere to those instructions, they will, will automatically throw out your submission without reading it. So like, for instance, if it's an emailed submission and they say um, to have your first name and then the number of poems in the subject line, you have to do that. Otherwise, they're going to delete your email. If they say um, a bio needs to be um, less than 50 words, you have to do that. Otherwise, they're going to say, oh, this person can't follow instructions. It's a brutal Don't give there. them an easy out because they got again 15 seconds as well. Although I'm giving you hopefully a little more time than that. But if you give people an easy out, like don't have any type of just like resume. You just want everything to be clean. You want to take your workshop critiqued poems because they're, they're looking at if they're a high quality journal, hundreds or thousands. There's a question here. By the way, we're doing our best to there's getting, we're getting a lot more questions than we expected, which is great. Instagram makes it very hard to read them. Can you give us a link to your websites? Okay, so it's hard for us to do that while we're doing the Instagram Live, but mine is Viewless Wings, V-I-E-W-L-I-N-G-S, Wings, W-I-N-G-S. Viewless Wings is a poetry reference, see if you can figure it out, uh, .com, and, or just James Moorhead, my name, James Moorhead, M-O-R-E-H-E-A-D, .com. And then Morgan, your website, yeah, mine should be linked in the bio on my Instagram account, but in case it isn't, it's just my name, Morgan Lippart, and Lippart is spelled L-I-P-H-A-R-T dot com. 
Cool. All right. So now the, the promoting your book. So wait a second now. Let's take a step back. You've created this beautiful book, whether it's Morgan's beautiful book, Barefoot and Running, please go buy it, or one, or my beautiful book, Canvas, please go buy it. They sell themselves. You don't do any work. It's just magic. You just put it out there, and out of the millions of books that are released every year, your book is magically going to just sell. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> There's half, And a, a way I like to think about it is um, – um, uh, John, uh, shoot, the, the thriller writer, the lawyer thriller writer, his name is, is Grisham, Grisham. Uh, he, he has, a, you know, he's a very successful writer. You know, he's sold millions and millions of books. The first half of the year, six months, he writes his next book. And the second half of the year, he does all of the book business stuff required to promote that book, even though he's a massively successful writer in name. Um, it's easier for him, but books don't just sell themselves because there's so many books that are released. So maybe Morgan, you start. What are some of the things that you've experimented with in selling your book? Yeah. So I think for me personally, Instagram is a big seller of my book, but I think that's because I'm really engaged on this platform and I put a lot of work and effort into it. Um, so I feel like a lot of people who have told me that they bought the book or sent me screenshots, um, they found me through Instagram. But another really, really wonderful way to sell books is Amazon ads. Um, mm -hmm. Amazon is so big like of a company that I hate <laughs> promoting it, but it's true. Like you and I have both experienced that Amazon ads is a big pusher of our books. And there are free classes that you can take online that teaches you everything you know, need to know about Amazon ads. If you also um, on Instagram DM me about Amazon ads, I can send you the name of it because I'm not remembering it right now, but I took their free class um, and it was, it was amazing. <laughs> you become an expert. And um, Amazon ads, for those of you that might not know, is when your book is published through KDP and available on Amazon, you can push ads so that your book shows up in searches. So um, I think some of my search words that I chose are nature poems. So if someone searches on Amazon nature poems, my book is going to pop up right at the top as a sponsored link and people will click on it. And if people click on it, then you pay for it. I think that's right. Um, then you pay for it and you pay per click. And it's something small like you, you set the bid, but it can be two cents. It can be four cents, it can be 30 cents. And you just kind of fiddle with those numbers until you find a profitable uh, kind of balance where you're getting enough clicks, but you're not paying too much um, per click. So that can be a really big driver if your book is just sitting on Amazon, but isn't really selling. Yeah, I think that you have to, like any marketing activity for a, a new product, you need to just try lots of things, but in a way that you can determine what's working and what's not to the extent that's possible. Uh, so one thing I do is, um, as Paul Laurie in Dublin, California, I do a poetry and pizza open mic once a month. And every single time I have one or, or whenever I'm at an event, I have the book, my books in my car. I don't have a huge stockpile. I have what I need. Um, that's a bit, another benefit of self-publishing is I don't have to have a whole bunch of boxes in my garage. I just order them on demand. I have a, a stock that I need. I bring it to the event and uh, I sell them signed and I have a square reader and very important. I took the time, wasn't that painful, but to make sure I had 
the sales tax stuff set up. So that if you're going to sell truly direct, then you, you can't avoid it. You have to collect and remit sales tax. You don't need an accountant to do it. It's a little, it's not really that hard in California. The, the government was surprisingly, shockingly fast to get on the phone and answer my questions. So I have a square reader. I have, uh, I have a sales permit that lets me collect and remit sales tax. And I can also, because, you know, I'm never going to meet the volume that triggers cross border, cross state things. I'm able to sell and ship to other states and do all that through square. So I've gone through the headaches to set that up so that I have a way to sell in parallel with Amazon. Uh, the, the, you know, the benefit of Amazon is it's huge and you can run ads on it. You can run ads pointing to it. Um, but once people land on Amazon, you have no visibility. Uh, so that's the one challenge is you don't know what's working and what's not working other than the book sale. And then the reporting of Amazon Kindle is not great and can be quite delayed. So uh, it's hard to know what's working and not working. With my own website and selling books direct through there, I can connect it from a Google Ads click to a conversion on Square and connect the whole thing together and know. But that is not trivial to set up. So I think that you can start on Amazon and add complexity as you feel comfortable doing so. Um, but then you want to just try lots of things. You want to just, you, you really only know what works when you A-B test and try and experiment. And that's You'd probably rather be writing poetry books and writing poems like I would. However, again, your poems don't sell themselves. You have to do that stuff. So what are some of the other things? You talked about social. Um, what are some of the physical world things you've done to make people aware of your books? Um, I have. Well, this isn't something that I've done. Uh, shout out to my mom. If you're on this live, my mom went into a Barnes and Noble in my hometown in Rockford, Illinois and talked to the manager and was like, this is my daughter, she wrote this, will you please do like uh, signing with her or stock her book? And surprisingly enough, the manager was really open to it. And I emailed her and we started chatting and then they set up an actual signing for me in the store in Rockford, Illinois um, to, to sell my book. And it was amazing. And they still have a large stock and keep buying buying my book. Um, so that's just some hometown love that I did. And I think if you go to your local Barnes and Noble, you can give that a shot and see if that works. I guess it helps if you have a cute mom being like, <laughs> I'm going to be with you until this happens. <laughs> I did something uh, similar when, um, when I went into our local Barnes and Noble and said, Hey, I'm the poor large Dublin, California. Will you stock my book? And they said, do you have a sell sheet? And I said, sure I do. I forgot to bring it with me. I did not have a sell sheet. So I scrambled home that night and went, what's the sell sheet? And I'm, I thought, is it kind of like a one pager or like a piece of collateral? And, and so I quickly look, I went online, found some examples and created a sell sheet that uh, and if people dm me at Beulah's wings i'll be happy to send you exactly what i took into bookstores and then i went into all the local bookstores in the bay area uh, on weekends and had fun driving to them and i brought my business card which is my book the sell sheet and then they started asking questions well, what are you doing to promote this book oh well i'm i'm doing open mics i've got this event lined up i got that event lined up and then i because they want to know like bookstores they want to know that their book's going to not just sit on the shelf and be ignored. So you have to demonstrate that you're not just assuming it's going to sell because it's sitting there. Right. And, and by, I came in with evidence that I had, 
thought about marketing the book and they went, I remember one bookseller said, Oh, okay. I'm surprised this is self-published. I wouldn't even have known. I was like, yes. Right. Because a self-published book has, it is for bookstores a disadvantage. I did that because I really wanted to see it on a bookshelf and I've got photos of myself on Instagram at the bookstore. It's really not the most, it's not where you're going to make any money really because the margins are so huge, but it is, it is a credibility thing. I also took a tour. I donated two copies to our local library. Now it's going to be in the library system, right? By at least two libraries now, one where my parents are in Canada and one here and that getting in the library system, that's just another little notch of credibility and you build up enough of those things. And then, um, you know, something will come together that you couldn't anticipate. The library tip is so good. And so is the open mics. I need to do more open mics. Yeah, especially with, with uh, I, I know, I think I saw in the comments at Phoenix Books, were, who were fantastic, shout out to Rutland, uh, Vermont. Uh, I go to their open mic and uh, they have Phoenix Books on Eventbrite, has a wonderful virtual open mic. And I've met so many uh, wonderful people. And then on an open mic recently, one of the participants who I'd never spoken with said, oh, and he, he picked up my book. Like boom, and it's it's totally fair game on an open mic to to say, hey, I'm going to read this from my book. You know, there's no oh, that's the other point I should make. You have to overcome shyness about promoting yourself because I've at, at open mics I've done at our poetry and pizza events in Dublin. I have literally walked up to a table of strangers who are not there for the open mic. They're finishing their pizza and paying the bill and saying, hey, if you guys are sticking around, have another drink, we're doing an open mic and I'm the poet laureate, oh, here's my first book and I'm selling it. I will always sell at least a book to someone who had no idea they were about to buy a book. Um, there's no point being shy. You have no idea when you might stumble on someone who just is just the right person at the right time. So don't be shy is another piece of advice I would have. It's okay to promote yourself. It's okay to take up space. Like I was saying before, it's okay to say, this is who I am. And something that also helps me is thinking about like my future self and choosing to be that woman now. Like my future self is a best-selling author on so many different platforms, not just an Amazon best-selling author. Um, my future self is a successful novelist. Like my future self does this for a living and it's her life purpose. And I choose to be that girl today. And I can access that. And I can step into those shoes and say, okay, I'm gonna behave as if I'm already successful. So here, here's my book. Hi, can I speak at your open mic? Do you wanna carry my book? Like that is at least what helps me, which might sound a little hippy dippy, but I'm hippy dippy, so. Oh, well then, uh, you know, I want to uh, also say like up until uh, about a year and a half ago, I was, you know, writing poetry, sharing it with friends and family, a little bit was, but I was very self-conscious about saying, I am a poet. You know, I'm in the tech industry in my day job. I felt comfortable saying that. And I was, and I last I realized, why do I not feel comfortable saying I'm a poet? And now I say, I'm a poet and I'm this other thing, right? And they're on an equal level. Um, by the way, I just noticed someone in the comments, yes, Viewless Wings is a Keats Ode to a Nightingale reference. Well done. Um, and Viewless Wings, in fact, I, it was just meant to be that I would get the domain name. Viewless Wings is the name of the collection of poems that I pulled together for a 10th grade creative writing class a million years ago. And then when I was thinking of a name for my website, Viewless Wings and Viewless Wings Press were, were available. And I thought that is just meant to be. So we are now uh, approaching the point where Instagram is going to kick us off. 
Um, so the first thing is, and we'll, we will measure this based on the number of hearts that appear, how many people, we've had an enormous number of people stay on for so long, are, are interested in Morgan and I doing a follow-up where we really talk about our, our, our process of writing poetry and editing poetry and getting a poem ready for publication. Let's see if the hearts floweth or not floweth or not interpret the hearts at all. <laughs> there we go, people are, there we go, here come the hearts. I also have a similar question, a related question. Um, I am thinking about also separately doing a class, almost like a master class type style, where maybe it's $10 or $20 that you would pay, and then you would get access to all these videos in this like structured class from me, where I tell you exactly how, like step by step, how to go get your journal go get your poetry in journals and um give you templates like give you my excel template give you all the lists you need let you do q a like i'm thinking about doing that with my career would you let me know if that's something that you would be interested in i'm trying to see if there would be interest um, either let me know here or dm me or tell me on my profile or something i'll, I'll see it but that's just something i'm thinking about i'm, I'm, I'm that's really the first probably like that that's the first I've heard it. I think it's a fantastic idea because Morgan I and I just stumbled on each other, just stumbled yeah. on each other on the due to on Instagram, and we have shared so much knowledge back and forth on the challenges and the joys and the ups and downs of of publishing poetry. So, uh, I think we're going to to wrap it now. I want to. I'm amazed how many people registered, and uh, we had a much higher attendance rate than you would expect. Um, which is fantastic and people stuck around. So uh, we're gonna be back, we're gonna do this again. This is super fun. And uh, last thing, make sure, you know, please, if you wanna see what a self-published book looks like, go pick up both our books. For whatever reason, Amazon is, is aggressively uh, promoting, promoting mine right now. Not expensive, you'll spend like 20 bucks and you'll have two examples of self-published books that look gorgeous, Canvas, James Moorhead, Barefoot and Running, Morgan Lippard. And um, I will send out a follow-up email. Please uh, email. Email Dublin Poet Laureate is my, at Gmail is my email address. Or viewlesswings.com or morganlippard.com. Please follow us. Follow Viewless Wings on Instagram right now, and then you'll get notified. Yeah, I, I post a lot of poetry, a lot of poetry-related stuff a lot of things that hopefully will make you smile. So if you follow me, that would be fun and we can connect. Perfect. And I apologize we didn't get to your questions because they're very, very hard to see while you're doing this, but we got to some. So thank you very much. Thank you, Morgan. I really enjoyed this. I hope everyone else found this useful. Bye everybody. Thank you. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.